as opposed to the, you know, their famous planner, Daniel Burnham, who said, you know, make no little plans and, you know, redesign Chicago and, and, and a lot of larger design firms are really looking to make big sweeping changes in the cities and areas that they, that they work on. And I think incremental urbanism is kind of the opposite of that. It's, it's about almost a series of, uh, I don't want to call them pinpricks, but surgical strikes throughout the neighborhood that are at different scales and for different project types that add up over time to changing the character of a neighborhood or a city. Hello, hello. Welcome to Human City. Today, our guest is none other than David Asin, FAIA, founding principal and creative director of Boston based Asin Plus Associates. That's at HACIN.com, which has beautiful work across the board from beautiful buildings to interiors to branding to good urbanism. David has degrees from both Princeton and Harvard and is insanely active in his community and the design community at large. And what is his community? It's the South End of Boston, and we will talk a lot more about that in the episode. But we also talk about how he has incrementally transformed his home neighborhood and how you can too, how we should think about approaching neighborhoods holistically, and why some of the best architecture is local. David is humble and the master. You have got to hear what he has to say. Enjoy. David, welcome to Human City. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice to cool. be here. Cool, cool. So, uh, yeah, I always start with this question because I want people to sort of know about where you're coming from. What was your neighborhood like growing up? Well, you know, that's a great question and actually sort of a tough one for me to answer because I grew up in a lot of different places. Um, and I, when I was a kid, I grew up in Europe and I grew up in New York City and I grew up in a lot of different sort of neighborhood environments, but in junior high and high school, we moved to a small city in Western Pennsylvania called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, and that was really my, my grounding experience as a neighborhood growing up, you know, it was a sub suburban neighborhood outside a small, um, at that point, pretty thriving industrial city. And it uh, had a big impact on me. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm sure it did. Uh... Then how did you end up in Boston and like architecture, South End? How, how did that all come together? <laughs> well, so it's a little bit of a long story, but I, I think that just to make it short, um, you know, I grew up in, in this town, which um, uh, after I left uh, uh, suffered pretty serious deindustrialization. My, my parents left. Um, um, and so it was sort of a, uh, a story that's played out across the country in many ways for many people. And um, that stuck with me. I'd always wanted to move back to New York. 
Um, I went to uh, I went to, to college in New Jersey and then um, spent uh, summers working in New York uh, and eventually uh, went to graduate school uh, for architecture uh, in Boston, in Cambridge, uh, at the Graduate School of Design. And I didn't know Boston or Cambridge at all. I had no family here. I had no real connections to this place. Um, and so I landed, I kind of dropped into Cambridge and started studying architecture uh, there and with the intention of moving back to New York as soon as I graduated. Um, but during the course of my time at the GSD, my life changed. I, uh, I came out, I met my partner um, who was from Chicago and had no interest in moving to New York. And I had to make some decisions about whether or not to stay in, in the city. And um, I ended up getting a job with Skidmore, Owings & Merrill, which is a big architecture firm in Boston. Um, and that was an urban design office, not an architecture office, oh, wow. which is okay. interesting. It's, uh, it's sort of relevant to how I think mm -hmm. about things. And so I was studying architecture at the GSD, working as an urban designer uh, in Boston. And while I was sort of shuttling back and forth between Cambridge and Boston, you know, Cambridge and Boston have a funny relationship to each other. They're across the river and for all intents and purposes, the one city doesn't exist for the other. It's, it's funny. <laughs> um, and so I crossed the river to work and I thought, hmm, I like Boston. You know, it's, 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 it's a pretty big city and there's a lot going on here. And then once I decided to stay, um, uh, with Tim, my partner, uh, we had to figure out where we were going to live. And that is, begins really the story of how we ended up in the South End. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, just, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an encompassing picture of sort of where you come from, sort of an industrial area. Um, and then sort of the, your background in uh, the firms and urbanism. Um, it sounds like there's a lot that's sort of fed into your, what you've become and sort of what ideas you have now and the work you produce, you know? So, um, and it's all really beautiful. Uh, just let Thank me say you. that. So yeah. Uh, nice work. Uh, so you live in the South end now yes. <laughs> and you've done a lot of work in the South end. And so yeah. this is, um, it's sort of, it's one of these cases where you live in a place where you do a lot of the work, which is where the best architecture is usually made for sure. Well, um, feel that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what is incremental urbanism? So, so incremental urbanism in, in my mind is, um, you know, the term has been used to describe other things. Um, but for me, I would say incremental urbanism is the idea that big change comes through a series of smaller actions as opposed to uh, over time, as opposed to the, uh, you know, the famous planner, Daniel Burnham, who said, you know, make no little plans and, you know, redesign Chicago and, and, uh, and, and a lot of um, larger design firms are really looking to make big sweeping changes in the cities and areas that they, that they work on. And I think incremental urbanism is kind of the opposite of that. It's, it's about um, almost a series of, um, of uh, I don't want to call them pinpricks, but um, surgical strikes throughout the neighborhood that uh, are at different scales and for different project types that add up over time 
uh, to changing the character of a neighborhood or a city. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think like the proof is in the pudding, you know, <laughs> you, you've seen it happen. And uh, a lot of times in urban design, uh, they, uh, people say that this is the diversity of different um, building types and forms and places that sort of creates beauty. So that's sort of something that's conducive to this incremental urbanism is that now we're creating a diversity of um, use cases and designs, which is uh, very impactful <laughs> on the, yeah. for urban design wise. So, yeah. Uh, so what type of interventions have you done there on the South end? Like what sort of work have you? Well, done? you know, I mean, just to, like to step back for one second, you know, when we first moved to the South end, um, which is now 30 years ago, um, we, we moved there because um, it was an ethnically and economically diverse neighborhood, which Boston doesn't actually have that many of. Um, and that was closest to what Tim had experienced growing up in Chicago and uh, in, in central Chicago and I had experienced in New York and we, we liked that. Um, it was also uh, sort of a gay-friendly neighborhood, so that was something that was important at that time, especially at that time. And it was kind of up and coming. So in, in other words, there was a strong sense of community. It was a bit of a haven at, at a difficult time because that was uh, during the AIDS crisis. Um, and it was also a place we could afford. So there were all those factors that kind of came together. And um, I what happened was I ended up like many architects, I got a commission from a family member to, to design a house. And that's what kind of got me started. And I ended up setting up shop in a in an artist building that was, you know, full of sculptors and painters and things like that. And uh, little entrepreneurs who were jewelers and you know, and um, so I didn't go downtown where most people would go to sort of start a practice. I went literally around the corner from where I lived into this like, you know, loft building. I shared a space with a sculptor that had a, we had Whoa. a curtain between us, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he's a great guy and a great sculptor, very architectural <laughs> sculpture, actually. Um, um, but that was uh, how I started to engage with the neighborhood, really. It was not, um, uh, it was very organic in the sense that, you know, I was in this building with these folks and they would hear about things or know people and want to help me out and I want to help them out. And so there was this kind of word of mouth aspect to it, which um, was so great. And I wish more, more people could experience. Um, and so, you know, um, to your question about what kind of projects we did, the, the first kind of projects I did in the neighborhood were actually restoration and renovation projects because that's what was happening in the neighborhood. A lot of buildings had fallen into disrepair and um, it wasn't what I thought I was going to do. You know, I had been working at big offices like SOM and I'd gone to the GSD and here I am, you know, suddenly working on how to repoint brick. Um, um, but that was how it got started really, you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, preservation projects led to housing projects, led to, you know, one thing after another. But one of the things about the neighborhood being as uh, sort of diverse as it is, and there are a lot of um, 
you know, it's a total, it's a neighborhood that has very much gentrified, but it also has a lot of social services um, and a lot of institutionalized public housing that has kept the neighborhood um, somewhat like it was um, years ago. And so we've tried to participate in all of that. You know, we've tried to participate in the, 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 the gentrified luxury housing, but also we've also done SRO housing and we've also done um, uh, artists live work uh, affordable housing. And that's one of the great things about the neighborhood is it's created all of these different opportunities. It's not like some neighborhoods where you would just build the same thing over and over yeah. again. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great great point. Um, I like the, the hardest part about gentrification because in general you want to make communities better. You know, you don't want to <laughs> leave them in bad condition. But the the second you do that, you could start to push out people. You know, so absolutely having like you're having a big impact in sort of keeping that culture and the people there, which is huge importance to like not only the social like component uh but just like their you know their livelihoods <laughs> you know like creating uh help having them have a good life so wow that's that's so cool how does that like progression work for you because uh like it sounds like great in my mind but i wonder how like you know was it hard was it easy like um, i think it like, was, you know, yeah i mean it it was one of the things i think that we all feel when we first come out of school is we want some measure of instant gratification, right? We want, we want to, we don't want to hear that it really takes three years to complete a project, you know, a year in Boston to get something permitted. Um, it's, it's slow. And then, you know, one project is, is nice, but you know, uh, the more projects that you build and they start to build on each other, um, the more impact, you feel like you're potentially having. So it did take a long time. It took a long time. I mean, I've been at it for a while and this idea of incremental urbanism, I'd like to tell you that it, 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 it um, started the process, but it didn't. It was a bit retrospective. At some point we started to look back at what we had done, realizing that we were making organic change in the neighborhood and how, what do we call that? How do we, how do we feel about it? And that's, that was something that really required time. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's even better <laughs> that you didn't know you were doing it, but it, it just was sort of <laughs> happened organically. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. like the best way for it to occur. Um, like what is the benefit of having an architect living in a neighborhood they help design? So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we've done work all over. And I, I think that there's sometimes a really great advantage to coming into some place where you don't know very much, and you can approach a problem sort of fresh, and you have to do research, and you have to understand what the conditions are for how to actually move forward with a project. But on the other hand, there's no real substitution uh, uh, for really knowing where you are, what's going on, the issues that are uh, buzzing in the neighborhood, whether it be, you know, the need for a dog park or, or, or loss of tree canopy or things that may not be architectural, but that are important to the neighborhood and you're aware of them. And so as you begin to think about how to craft projects or solutions for the neighborhood, which by the way is a historic district, 
um, uh, you uh, you know you know the history. You know if you know that if you're in a historic district, you better know the history of the district. Um, you better understand um, that there are a lot of people who care a lot of, about the place and that you need to listen. So I think that's hard to do when you're parachuting in as an out of town architect. Um, and I wish uh, more architects were more engaged in their immediate communities than, than many are. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's a great, great point. Um, I, the next question I was going to ask, which I think you answered, which was, I mean, so, so spot on. I read on some article and you said all our architecture is local or should be local at least. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, there's just like a um, nuance that like a local architecture can capture that no other person can, can you know, or, or will. So um, like having someone there to see, um, and to have that vision and to help make it uh, happen. Um, is, yeah, super important. And I mean, the proof, you know, you've done in the South end it's, it works, you know? So, well, I mean, you know, I think that for, for, for me, part of it has to do with, um, you know, like for example, you're in LA, I love LA. Um, I'm in Boston. I love Boston. I like the fact that they're not like each other. Um, I, 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 I like the, the neighborhoods in LA that have a real um, particular character. You know where you are. Um, and in Boston, um, the same could be said, certainly of the South End, but definitely of other neighborhoods in the city as well. And so what I don't wanna see happen are places become more and more alike. And that is definitely, there's a new neighborhood that's been built in Boston called the Seaport District. It's a big downtown district. It kind of went up overnight. Um, it's uh, very successful in many ways, but it's a very glossy district. And if you showed pictures of it to people, they would not know where it was. They might guess it was Seattle. They might guess it was DC. They, they might not know where they were. And that is a shame to me. Um, and I, I think that that gets to that issue of architecture being local, not just from the perspective of the, the fact that you're serving local communities in the work that you do, but also that it has local identity and that it has something that makes it, that sets it apart and that makes it special relative to other special places. Yeah, no, uh, couldn't agree more. That's so, uh, so important. I mean, it makes, yeah, I mean, that's definitely what, why people go to Boston often is because it has that particular feeling or character and same thing with LA. As soon as you start to mess with that, it's ruining <laughs> the character yeah. of a city. And it's, there's like a fiscal economic reason to not do that as well. You know, it's not just be right. how beautiful it is, you know, it's like you're kind of detracting away from <laughs> your city. So um yeah no i, I yeah, it's it's great you know great i was point. thinking about uh your question about architecture or or my statement about all architecture being local and and it is in my mind but you know i i think that i can think of exceptions right like uh, dubai for example which i've been to um is a city that is not local <laughs> there's nothing about it that's local everything about the architecture that is built there is actually built to attract people from elsewhere to come there yeah. to sort of see the spectacle of the architecture 
Um, it's not really to serve people locally. So not all architecture is local, but maybe all architecture should. Yeah. Uh, so I just, you know, just putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, yeah, good point. <laughs> it's easy to, it's, it's not in a perfect, um, like vacuum what's no. going on here. Not at all. <laughs> uh, okay. So how do you think differently about urbanism? I wonder. Well, you know, I, 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 I think the fact that I spent some time working as an urban designer, which I was not trained to do, but I was studying architecture. And I also did a stint at the planning commission in for Manhattan in New York when I was younger. And, and um, uh, that was right actually as the plans for Times Square redevelopment were taking place and they were trying to figure out how to save the theaters at the same time as building all these big new buildings. And, um, and so that, perspective, that urban design perspective of thinking not just about the, the building, the artifact, but also about the context and what makes uh, a neighborhood or a district clearly, in retrospect, clearly influenced my attitude towards architecture itself. You know, at what, when is it appropriate to build uh, something that is... Um, exerting itself architecturally in the in the in the in the landscape and when do you step back in deference to let's say the street or the neighborhood and i think that's that's one of the things that i'm i'm proud of in terms of our work is i think that we 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 try to calibrate those moments so that we're we're present and we're contributing to the the um the architectural change that all cities go through but not, but being careful not to overstep um, the character of the the neighborhood or the place that we're working. Yeah, I love that um, because I sort of I like how you bring in change and you acknowledge that it's going to occur. Like <laughs> you're very oh, sure. uh, like accepting of that, and you're not sort of trying to push against it whatsoever. No, but um, you're definitely you're, but you're acknowledging that there's history and character there that you have to work with. I like that. <laughs> That's uh, maybe <laughs> one of the best ways I've heard of to look at it for sure. Thank you. Well, thanks. Okay. So that's a lot of the questions I have. Um, short oh. and sweet. So, wow. Is that uh, sweet? yeah, so <laughs> it's been great. Really fun. Uh, what are some of the projects, current works or ideas that um, you're working on or like to share? Well, you know, we're working on a project right now, which I'm, I'm very excited about because it, 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 touches on a lot of uh, these issues. Um, and that is that uh, there's a, uh, an institution here called the Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology. It was a building uh, campus that was built in the early 1900s uh, from an endowment for Ben Franklin. It's a boys technical, uh, was started as a boys technical school and now it's a technical school to uh, get a lot of um, uh, kids up on the first rung of a ladder to build a career and so forth. And, and their campus had, has fallen, it's beautiful buildings, but they've really fallen into disrepair and they're not suited to modern technology at all. And so the campus has been sold or is in the process of being sold um, and uh, to a developer, big uh, well-known developer that we're working with. Um, and we are, the, what's nice about the sale is that it's going to help fund the school build a purpose-built facility for, for going forward more successfully. 
and at the same time, um, allowing the buildings that they weren't able to really take care of be restored, preserved, and we're going to build a series nice. of new buildings on that campus. And so the, there'll be some office, there'll be a, um, a senior living um, a, a senior living facility, um, some affordable housing, and some market rate housing. And all on this large um, sort of triangular site that's in the heart of our neighborhood. And it's a big project, by, by far the biggest project we've ever done. So I feel like it, it's all roads have led to this in many ways. It touches issues of preservation and creating a diverse uh, uh, community in terms of ages and incomes. It's helping this one of the social services type organizations, which in this case is school, um, continue its mission by leveraging its the value of the property that was created by, frankly, the gentrification that occurred in the neighborhood. And so we're really excited about that project. It's it's a it's a it's a it's an important one for us. Cool. Sounds like fun and a lot of hard work. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's going to be many years and it's going to be a lot of hard work. But we're and a lot of conversations with a lot of stakeholders, yep. which is typical of Boston. So yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, th yeah, this has been great. Again, um, how can people see your work, get in contact if they'd oh, like? Thank, thank you. Well, first of all, come to Boston. Come visit us in Boston and uh, come see the South End, which I think Time Out in 2019 said was one of the uh, coolest neighborhoods in the world, which uh, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I was really proud of. We were, uh, we were in line with, you know, really hot neighborhoods in Barcelona and Berlin. I was pretty psyched nice. about that. Um, so come and, and come to Boston and don't always just check out the, the stuff that everyone already knows, but come to our neighborhood and hopefully when the restaurants are back in action and all of that, that it's a, it's a great place to be. Um, stop by our office. People are always welcome to do that. And you can check us out online at our, at our website, hussein.com. So. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, David. It's been great. Big thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Hey guys, that is all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just send humancitypodcast at gmail.com or you could hit me up at Twitter at humancitypod or even Instagram at human.city. I love listening. I love hearing it. Please guys, absolutely anything. I'd love to talk. And that is it. I'm Stig. Goodbye, goodbye. Up, up, up.